it's a complete mess. It's just very reminiscent of my house so often. Eventually they get to go out the door and they go off and you see them walking down the street arm in arm. He's in a suit and she's in a lovely dress and she says, peace at last. And you see that on the back of her dress she's got a load of paint that she sat on. So that's often what it's like as a parent. But peace at last, we just crave peace. But peace, what is peace? It's, a, it's an interesting thing. Peace, I don't think, is simply the absence of conflict. Or even peace isn't, I don't think, the absence of noise. But I think it's something far more profound than that, something much, much deeper that God wants us to really wrestle with and come to terms with knowing peace. I think often real peace is knowing God in the midst of noise and turmoil and craziness. Somehow that in the midst of that you can still know peace. I think we can find peace in creation. Some of you here will readily identify with this. Perhaps you know you go out on a walk in the middle of nowhere, you go up a mountain, you see this kind of incredible scene. Maybe standing staring at the stars at night, kind of when it's really dark. I remember for me as a young guy, kind of when I was around the time I was getting saved, I remember being in Norfolk and it was just such seeing the Milky Way, incredible stars at night and sensing something really profound within creation that spoke of a, a peace beyond anything that I had known. There's kind of the tantalizing hallmarks of the creator around us. That's what the Bible says, you know, that the creation kind of roars with the, cre- the creator's kind of touch, the author's hand, if you like. You see glimpses of heaven in that. And so, so creation, which kind of resonates with the creator, does often bring a sense of peace, but lasting peace, because if you, you know, maybe you're staring at a waterfall and it's wonderful and in that moment you get a moment of peace, but then you come back to reality and peace gets robbed from you so often. True lasting peace, I think, only happens when something happens within us, inside. And I want to explore a little bit about, well, how does that happen? What might that look like and what, that, what might that be for us? I want to read this passage in um, Colossians. If you've got a Bible and want to turn with it, Colossians chapter 3. In fact. I don't know if we can get this up on, on the wall, Steve, whether that will work on the screen. Okay, and we're going to go four. I'll start reading from from verse one. Then we're going to go down to uh, verse 15. It's good to read chunks of scripture sometimes. So Colossians chapter three, verse one. Since then you've been raised with Christ. Set your heart on things above, where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things above, not on earthly things. For you died and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. If you've been here over the last couple of weeks, Hannah and Victoria have been talking about what does it mean to die to self? What does it mean to kind of see our old life crucified? What does it mean, what does it feel like to daily pick up your cross? And we've been exploring, Victoria last week was talking about that verse which says, unless a grain of wheat falls to the ground and dies... It can't bear fruit. And we talked about fruitfulness of life and what God might be wanting to do. For you died, Colossians says, and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. 
When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you will also appear with him in glory. Put to death, therefore, whatever belongs to your earthly nature, sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires and greed, which is idolatry. Because of these things, the wrath of God is coming. You used to walk in these ways, in the life you once lived. But now you must also rid yourselves of all such things as these, anger, rage, malice, slander and filthy language from your lips. Do not lie to each other, since you have taken off your old self with its practices and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge in the image of its creator. Here there is no Jew, Gentile or Jew, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave or free, but Christ is all and is in all. Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourself with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness and patience. Bear with each other and forgive one another if any of you has a grievance against someone. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. And over all these virtues put on love, which binds them all together in perfect unity. Let the peace of Christ rule in your heart, since as members of one body you are called to peace and be thankful. Father, I pray you take these words of scripture and just in a few moments, will you uh, bring light to our hearts and eyes that we'll be able to see what it is you're saying to us and challenge us. Holy Spirit, we give you permission to press into the deep things, the hidden corners of our hearts and lives, where we hold back from you, where we are perhaps fearful of your gaze, where we struggle with the old life, we struggle with the old self, where we struggle under the power of shame or condemnation. And Holy Spirit, would you help us through the power of Christ to see breakthrough and transformation in our hearts? Lord, we long in the, in the midst of a mad world full of noise and stress and struggles and shouting to, to know deep inner peace, peace that can only come from you, King Jesus. We pray in your precious name. Amen. I've been really inspired. Um, in, in the Bible, there's, there's, a, there's a whole section called like the one another's. Love one another, bear with one another, forgive one another. And we're going to look at some of those over the next season. And in a way, this is kind of an opening kind of look at that. I think sometimes we don't realise what a powerful witness the church can be. Often the truth is the church has been a pretty shambolic or a pretty horrendous witness. See, we're all witnesses here to something. Um, the question is, are we good witnesses or bad witnesses? Sometimes the church has, has a perception of being very judgmental or very critical or very unwelcoming or uh, very aloof or very withdrawn from the world. And sometimes that's probably a fair criticism of the church. That is not what Christ intended. Jesus said, people will know you're my disciples when you love one another. Now, as a church here, we're fairly new, we're fairly young, and we get lots of things wrong, and we're kind of emerging and growing. But, but one thing we do really try, and we really long for here, is to be a community of love. Well, that's not just words, but actually we try and model that. We, we know what it is to share. When we're in, when we're in uh, financial difficulty, when there's someone here, we want to try and think, how can we support, how can we encourage? When someone's sick, we want to do practical things, whether it's getting food or visiting or organising prayer. When someone's lonely, we want to visit them. Now, hopefully, lots of churches do that. And as a church here, we're really trying to say, how can we truly model community life? So that when people look at us, they go, there's something different about you. There's something full of life. 
Yeah, you're not perfect, and yeah, you make mistakes, but actually there's something where you love and forgive one another, where you show grace to one another, where you honour one another, and you say, do you know what, that person there is brilliant at this, they've got such gifts, they're so much better than me. Where it's not about building yourself up or climbing up on top of everyone else to, to elevate yourself. Actually, we say, no, no, what we want to do is elevate one another, honour one another, bless one another. And when we do that, it's a real visible testimony. That actually, Because the truth is, we can't do that in our own strength. It has to be God at work amongst us. Because there is something in humanity which does crave, you know, to be seen and to have a bit of pride and to be right all the time. But actually we're saying, no, we want to put to death those things in Christ and know freedom to be a community of love, a place of welcome, a place that welcomes the outsider, that welcomes visitors. We want to be a place where people see Jesus. And I want to quickly just look at this passage, what Paul might be saying. Because he's saying, you know, that old life is, is done away with. God's looking for something new. I remember... I grew up in Kent, and it seemed, as I look back in my past, maybe it's just as you look back, always things always seem different. It seemed like when it snowed back in Kent, it properly snowed. We had proper winters with proper snow and proper roads being closed and snow drifts and all that kind of stuff. And it was always really exciting. We'd have massive kind of snow, snow drifts. And that, that moment when you wake up as a child and your room is, is brighter than normal, and you know, you hope as you open the curtain that there's white everywhere. And you open it, and actually some, your dad's just got the car light on, shining at the window. But, but, but hopefully behind that, there's loads of snow. And it's that moment, you think, yippee! And you come running down the stairs, and you're excited. And, you know, mum always says, before you go out, make sure you wrap up. And then it's the slow trudge back up the stairs. Now, my mum would just put, like, ludicrous layers of clothes on us. You know, like, two pairs of... I remember wearing two pairs of socks. It was, it's not like I was in the Arctic. It was minus 25 outside. There was a couple of inches of snow, but I'd wear two pairs of socks. Plastic bag over my socks. Anyone do that? No, that's just my mum. Good. Uh, before putting your wellies on, so your socks, your two pairs of socks don't get wet. Socks tucked into your jeans as well, and then kind of your vest, and then your shirt and then your tank top. Anyone remember tank tops? Oh, my days. Uh, and then a woolly kind of cardio over the top, all held together by my absolutely wicked Starsky and Hutch belt that I had. That was just brilliant. And then a coat, and then kind of a scarf, and a hat, and mittens, and you kind of walk out into the garden like this, by which point it's mid-May and all the snow's gone because you've been there such a long time. Putting all these layers on. Now, the reason I say that is actually that's kind of the image... That, that, that Paul's using here, that image of putting stuff on, getting dressed properly. Paul uses the, ang- the language of, of, of um, getting dressed here. Did you notice it? Uh, go back to, to... In fact, it splits into two parts, this passage. There's 12 to 14, and then 15 to 17. 12 to 14 is kind of like the outer stuff, and 15 to 17 is the inner stuff. There's eight virtues that Paul tells us we need to put on. Let's go back to uh, verse 12. Trying to read two bits at the same time. Verse 12 says, Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourself with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Bear with each other and forgive one another. If any of you has any grievance against someone, forgive as the Lord forgave you. And over all these virtues, 
put on love. It's a great image of kind of getting dressed properly. So let's, let's just look at what, the, what they all are there. Eight virtues. The first two describe how we treat other people. Compassion and kindness. And compassion is a word that, it kind of in English, it kind of loses some of its real weight. Compassion is not looking at someone going, oh, bless. Anyway, Top Gear's been cancelled, isn't that terrible? Compassion isn't like that. Compassion isn't kind of easily moved onto something that's more interesting. Compassion is something that gets you really, really deep down. Something that kind of hurts. Um, I think in the King James, it's translated, uh, in the old kind of King James, it was translated as like your bowels of mercies. It's, it's, it's a real kind of, and actually that's a, that, that's a kind of much more literal translation of the word compassion. It is from the kind of bowels, from the guts. I don't know if you've ever really been emotionally moved or really kind of deeply felt something and we talk about you know we talk about feeling it in the heart but actually you you almost feel it down here right in your guts sometimes when the holy spirit can move on you really powerfully and you're moved so deep it's it's almost down here you feel it it's a deep deep thing compassion when Jesus, that verse that says Jesus looked on the crowds because they were harassed and helpless and had no shepherd, it says he was filled with compassion. And it wasn't Jesus didn't look at crowds and go, oh, bless, look at them, they all look a bit lost. For Jesus, it was a deeply, powerfully moving moment of almost pain of such a longing to see people healed and set free and, 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 and drawn and wooed. Deep thing is compassion. We're told to have compassion, to really feel not superficially. You know, church, it's so easy in church just to be superficial, isn't it? We, we go through that liturgy every week. How are you? I'm fine, thank you. How are you? Yes, I'm fine, thank you. And we do that so easily. And I know I can do that. We can do that. But God's saying, there's got to be more. Real community is about actually wanting to get below the superficial, how are you? I'm fine, thank you. Because there is pain in one another's lives. There is brokenness. And as we begin to identify with that, not in an intrusive way, but in a way that we can realize actually what you're struggling with, actually I've been struggling with. And we can pray for one another. And we can comfort one another. And we can actually get through the superficiality so we actually feel the Father's love. There are some people in this room tonight who often feel really, really lonely. Or often feel a bit of an outsider spiritually. You're not quite there like everyone else around you. That's the feeling you have. Some of you struggle over issues of self-hatred and food. And wrestle with issues of self-image. Some of you have struggled with self-harm. Some of you struggle with real shame about stuff that you can't seem to shake off. This besetting sin and you just, sometimes you hate yourself for it. But when someone says, how are you? We can so easily go, I'm fine, thanks. How are you? And it's not that we want to be intrusive, but somehow where you can have a community where there's a safe place where people can go, do you know what, actually I'm really struggling at the moment. And where everyone else can go, wow, it's not just me struggling then. And there's an honesty and a truth and a a love of the Father that's able to flow healing into that to bring some sort of love and mercy response. See, when Jesus looks at your brokenness or your pain or your weakness, he has compassion on you. 
He wants, he feels something deep inside and is moved to respond, moved to move towards you, to try and bring healing, to try and bring tenderness. It's like when Jesus reached out to the leper. You know, when the leper said, you know, if you're willing, heal me. And Jesus speaks those glorious words. Yes, of course I'm willing. But he does so much more than that. So often Jesus spoke the word and people were healed. But in that glorious moment with the leper, who was a total outsider from society, cast off from people, couldn't have relationship with friends or family, couldn't worship in the temple because he was unclean. He was despised. He had been cursed by God. He was filthy, needed to be outside the town. The leper who was nothing, scum of the earth, Jesus says, yeah, I'm willing to heal you. And then he does something obscene as the holy rabbi. He reaches out and touches this man. God, holy God, touches the unclean leper and he's healed. Did he need to touch him? No. Could have just spoke the word. Could have happened like that. Why did Jesus not do that? Because this man wouldn't have been touched for years. He hadn't felt the touch of anyone. And the God of the universe feels such compassion for this man who's got these open sores and has been cut off. He can't do anything but reach out and touch him. It's beautiful. It's glorious. It's mind-boggling. That's compassion. Compassion that says, I'm going to go the extra mile because I really, really love. It's what God wants us to be like, to have compassion. Something that's moved deep inside. Tenderness, kindness, benevolence. Heart of compassion. He wants us to be kind. Paul's saying we need to put on kindness. What does that look like? So easy to be sarcastic or quick with our temper or cut people short. God's saying, I want to create a community where there's kindness. When people look at you, they think, why are you so kind to one another? There's, do you know what? There's amazing kindness in this church. I'm daily staggered by the kindness I see. I'm thankful to God for the kindness I see. And we need to press into that more and more. We need to be kind to one another with our words, with our actions, with our deeds. That's the first two. How we treat one another with compassion and kindness. I wonder what that might look like for you tomorrow. The second two depict the state of mind that we're told to possess. Humility. Having a kind of sense of Modesty, not putting yourself down. Oh, no, 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 no. But actually being kind of like, oh, <laughs> humility, real humility is a beautiful thing. Being humble and being gentle. Again, I'm just so glad the people who serve in this church in so many ways, we've got so many incredibly talented musicians. And, and Hannah leading the worship team. We've got so many musicians and so many bands. Each week we can have different bands and incredibly gifted musicians who just serve. You know, for me, as someone who's a worship leader for many years, you know, when you're on stage and you've kind of got a big crowd of people, it's easy to think, oh, this is kind of cool. I kind of like this. But I'm so gr- glad that the kind of the worship leaders and the worship band in the, in the church here are just like, actually, we don't want anything to do with that. This is not about us. It's about Jesus. Choosing to be humble is a beautiful thing. Choosing gentleness. What does gentleness look like? Gentleness isn't the same as weakness. There's a a gentleness, again, in our words, in the way we respond to one another. And then there's this 
Two, two words of how we should act when we're mistreated. These are tough, aren't they? Patience. Patience is the kind of the mother and father's cry, long-suffering cry. Oh God, give me patience. Give it me now. Kind of thing. I, patience is a hard one. We struggle with patience often, don't we? Long-suffering. Forbearance. Slowness to avenge wrongs in the face of opposition and difficulty. And then we're told to bear with one another. To sustain, to bear, to endure. And then a really tough one. We're told to forgive one another. And forgiveness is really hard, isn't it? Sometimes. For some people, when you've really been wronged, it's painful. It's painful to forgive in the face of hurt. But there's some great examples in this church of people saying, I've been really wrong, but I want to forgive. I don't want to hold on to bitterness. I don't want bitterness to kind of grow up like a root in me. But I want to be able to pardon and forgive because I've been forgiven by the God of the universe. And then the final virtue that's mentioned is love. And Paul talks about it. It's like a bond of perfection. It's it's the bond that kind of, finally, that binds everything else together. It's like the Starsky and Hutch belt that holds everything together. It's It's the key to everything. And it's love. Without that, it's nothing really. And in a sense, all the other virtues, all the other kind of really good attributes, we can probably work at them and we can make them kind of for a while, but it's love that's going to hold them there. It's love that's going to help us walk in them. How do we learn to love one another? How do we truly learn to love in that way? Because all those things I've mentioned earlier are really hard. And we often run out of steam. We can hold it for a while, but often we end up struggling. Love is a virtue that holds everything together. Now the way Paul talks about these, he says put on. He's talking about us dressing ourselves in them. Now, But we know that it's not about works, right? We can't win God's approval and actually it's all by grace. And yet, having been saved by grace, it seems that Paul's saying to us, if you know Jesus, if you've been saved by him, then we've got to start taking responsibility for these things. Most of you here would not get up and go into the day naked. I hope. Most of you would take responsibility. Most of you don't need your mum and dad to dress you anymore. Most of you probably here don't need your mum and dad. You might need them to wash your clothes for you, I know, let's be honest, or cook for you. But you do actually put your feet in your own socks and you do get your trousers around the right way, most of you. And you, you, know, you dress yourself, you take responsibility for that. You've learned to do that. And some of the image here is actually Paul saying to the church, guys, we need to take responsibility for these things. We can put these things on. We can make choices. It's our responsibility. That's all the outer stuff, the outward. But having done all the outward stuff, in this passage, the inward comes next. And in some ways, this inward stuff is what makes all the outward stuff fully possible. It makes us enables us to do it. Because the truth is we can strive to try and have compassion, we can strive to try and be patient, we can strive to try and kind of forgive, and we can do it through gritted teeth. But actually if it just becomes a bit human, then actually it's not going to last very long. In order to, in order to put all those things on and continue to be dressed like that, and for it to be authentic and true, there has to be something that comes from inward pushing out. It's a bit like um, I can't do the experiment because I haven't got it. But if you take a Coke can and, and you, and you uh, drink it, 
and then you stand it on the floor and you get someone to help you. You can go home and do this test. And you stand on it very, very carefully. You could, it'll actually, because of its shape, it will hold your, your weight. And you can just about stand on it. But if you get a very, very brave friend to go up to the edge of the Coke can and just very gently go like that, just one little tiny flick, that bit of pressure on one side will cause the whole can to go to crush. Make sure you get your finger out of the way quickly. And life is a bit like that for us. So often we're under intense pressure from the world, the flesh and the devil pushing in on us and we're struggling and we're kind of just about keeping ourselves afloat and trying to live holy lives, we're trying to live lives that please God and trying to do the right thing and trying to lead, lead a life as the Bible tells us to and we're trying to pray and trying to go to church and, and we're under pressure. And sometimes just the littlest chink can crush us and we feel like everything goes. And we think, oh, this is rubbish, I can't live like this. We need something inside pushing back with equal strength or more to sustain us. It's a bit like if you get a Coke can and you shake it, don't take the top off, but you shake it and you put it on the floor. Do you know what? You can really stand on it and you can jump on it and it won't crush. Don't necessarily try that on your best carpet, especially if it's your mother's carpet. But I'm telling you, there's so much pressure inside pushing outwards that it doesn't easily crush at all. We need something in us that's pushing out. Otherwise, what on the outside that's pushing in will try and overwhelm us. God wants to fill us to be able to press back against the pressure of the world. What does it say in this passage? 15. This will be coming to land. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, since as members of one body you are called to peace, and be thankful. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, since as members of one body you are called to peace. There's something inside that Christ, if you know Jesus as your saviour, that Christ really wants you to experience in your heart, in the core of your being, in the centre of who you are, is a peace that presses back against all the world's noise and volume and all the devil's lies against you. Something inside which is just pushing back, that holds back this tide of pressure. So in the midst of confusion, in the midst of pain, in the midst of sickness even, or even death or bereavement, even though everything is shouting against you, telling you, how can God be good? Look at what's going on in your life. Somehow in your heart, it's like this wall of protection, this hedge that says, no, God is good. God is good all the time. He is my peace. He's the one who stills the storm for me. And that has to be God that does that. It has to be his power that does that. And it has to be right here in the heart, in the centre of who you are, because that's the place that God wants to reach. And so often it's the place that we hold back from God. Now maybe you were saying, yeah, I'm willing to follow Jesus. And you prayed the prayer, you've done the Alpha course, you've done whatever it is, and you said, yes, I want to follow Jesus. And, but there's parts of your heart that actually you don't want to open up to him. There's parts of your history that you're too ashamed of, you don't really want to yield into him. Or there's maybe things in your future that you think, you know what, I'm quite happy to follow God and go to a nice church and sing the songs, but I'm not really sure I want to give you my future career. Or that relationship right now. Or that finance. Whatever it may be, we hold things back on my family, or my wife, or my children. I'm not sure I want to give that to you, God, because I'm not sure what you're going to ask of me. And we hold it back. And Christ is saying to you, I want to get right to the centre of your being so that I can bring you peace. Just like Victoria was saying last week. And as we let God into, the, into our hearts, 
his peace radiates out and his healing radiates out and hope and life and we, our heart begins to beat with the heartbeat of God. It's all about the heart. It's all about your heart and my heart. The heart of humanity's problem, as I've often said, is the problem of humanity's heart. It's our heart. That's at the root of everything. That's why God says, I want to take away your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. Often we struggle because our heart, the centre of our being, is disconnected and broken. It's disconnected from the source of life. God wants to reconnect us. As I've said, we often point out into the world, or newspapers, you know, and the problem is out, you know, out there somewhere. It's out in Syria. It's the terrorists out in Syria. It's Hitler. It's history. It's Jeremy Clarkson. I don't know. It's all out there somewhere. But actually it's not, is it? It's in here. It's in our hearts. And that's where God wants to minister to us tonight. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts. Let the message of Christ dwell among you. In a minute, we're going to go back into worship. And I want to pray for our hearts. Sometimes there's a moment where God come and does, comes and does some heart surgery. And sometimes it's a process. But our hearts should continually be open more and more to Christ, that he can rule and reign in them. That's what we're thinking about this Easter on the cross. That's the whole point of the cross. That love triumphed and overcame the power, that the love of power that was in the world. You know, Satan wanted power, earthly power. He wanted dominion and rule and reign. But Christ's love triumphed. And because Christ triumphed, he's opened the door for us to experience his peace and his victory. C.S. Lewis said this, God cannot give us a happiness and peace apart from himself because it's not there. There's no such thing. God cannot give us a happiness and peace apart from himself because it's not there. There is no such thing. What C.S. Lewis is saying, if you want to know real peace, it's only found in Jesus. Everything else is an illusion or temporary at best. If you want to know true peace, it has to ha- something has to happen deep inside. And I don't believe that's just a once-in-a-lifetime experience where God breaks in and then everything's wonderful and you're one of Jesus' sunbeams for the rest of your life and you're always smiling. It actually is a daily thing that we have to yield and say, God, do you know what? I really need your peace, your reign in my heart today to get me through these circumstances. I need to yield more of my life to you again because I've taken some of it back for myself. Ephesians 2.14.18 says this, For he, speaking of Jesus, he himself is our peace, who's made the two one and has destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility. He came and preached peace to you who are far away and peace to you who are near. Through him we both have access to the Father by the Spirit. Romans 5. Therefore, since we've been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Philippians 4, 6 and 7. Don't be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God, and the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Ephesians 2.14 For he himself is our peace. I want to pray for us as we go back into worship.
I'm going to invite the band to come back up. And we're just going to worship and see what God wants to do, see what the Holy Spirit wants to do. The children at the top have been um, talking about praying and letting God use them and minister through uh, in the power of the Holy Spirit. And Sarah's been teaching them about um, how to pray for people. Some of the guys up there, they already know how to do it, but she's been kind of going over that again. And so we're going to, as we worship, it may be that some of you feel actually you want to respond in prayer tonight. It may be that they've been particularly looking at how to pray for healing. We believe that God heals people. Sometimes we've seen amazing things in healing. I was asked to go and speak at St. Brendan's Catholic College this week to their staff and their CU. Went with Hannah. We had a good time, didn't we? This amazing college. And they, were asked, they asked me if I would come and speak on, on the topic of does God heal today? It was the shortest preach I've ever done. Because I just said yes. And then we had a few testimonies about God saying, does God heal today? Yeah, he does. Does he always heal when we pray? No, he doesn't always heal, but we do believe that God heals today. And Peter and the Hots Healing on the Streets team pray down in town and see people healed, and we've seen amazing things happen. If you're here tonight and you're struggling with a sickness or infirmity of some kind and you'd like someone to pray for you, then we'd love to pray for you. We've got a prayer team. Peter and Victoria and the team would love to pray for you. The children would love to pray for you. There's something awesome about having children pray for you because they just have really simple faith. And if you'd like some of the children to pray for you, I think they're going to be down in this corner with the, um, the children's team and some of the adults. And those, they're not going to be made to pray, but those that want to pray are going to um, offer to pray with some of you. If you'd like some of the children to pray with you, the prayer team, they'll be around to pray with you. If you feel like tonight you just want to yield your heart to God again, then I'm just going to pray a prayer that we can pray quietly in our own hearts. In this season of Lent, as we head towards Easter, we head towards that kind of image of the cross. It's a good time to get our hearts right. Ephesians 2, he himself is our peace. Maybe some of you need peace right now. Peace in your workplace. Peace in your family circumstances. Peace at school, at uni. Peace in your marriage. Peace with siblings. But it begins with peace in here that radiates out. We want to be a community of love where Christ's peace rules in us. And so as we put on humility and patience and forgiveness and concern for one another, and we, we look to receive God's compassion and mercy and kindness, it's radiating from a peace of Christ in our hearts that feeds and energizes and fills and sustains and presses back with the power of God because God's peace is not weak. God's peace is powerful. God's peace isn't an absence of noise. It's a powerful thing that breaks through. So I'm going to pray for God's peace to fill you and bring transformation. If you want to stand with me, I'm going to pray for us. Hannah's going to lead us in a time of worship. If you would like some prayer, there's a load of us going to be over on this side of the church with the children. There may be a few over this side. There'll be people who have lanyards. And we'd love to just pray with you. If you'd like someone to pray with you on any of the things that I've talked about tonight or on anything else, come now. Avoid the Christmas rush. We'll pray with you tonight. Let's see what God may want to do. Let's pray. Jesus, you are our Saviour, our Redeemer. Father, Son and Holy Spirit, we thank you for your mercy towards us. That while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. We thank you for the cross. We thank you that you willingly offered up your life for us. 
you bore the brokenness of the world, the anger and violence and sin and shame of our sin in your own body as you hung on that tree. And by your stripes we're healed. You won for us peace by overcoming the darkness in the world. You're our hope, our salvation. You are the source of life. So we look to you, Jesus, tonight. Would you come with your healing touch? Would you open the kind of locked corners of our hearts, the dark corners where we haven't yielded to you? And we say, would you flood your light into our hearts, light of the world, shine your light, expose those areas of darkness, and come with your compassion and healing and touch. Heal us. Take away our heart of stone. We offer you our hearts. And we say, Jesus, in our heart, would you build a throne that you can dwell in? We yield to you our dreams, our ambitions, our hopes, our longings. We yield to you our pains, our confusion, our unbelief. We don't want to hold anything back. So we surrender to you. Come, great physician, bring healing, bring freedom, bring deliverance. We welcome you, Holy Spirit. Come amongst us. Come, Holy Spirit. Speak into our hearts, into our minds. We welcome you here. Just let God's Spirit search your heart. If things come to mind or you just sense stuff, just offer it to God. Just be really honest with Him. Tell Him how you feel. Be really still if that's what you need, if you want to just take time out. But in these moments, use this time to go deeper with the Father, to know more of his love, the height, the depth, the width, the breadth of his love that can bring complete transformation to you. Don't be satisfied with with where you're at. God says there's more for you. There's more. Why walk in the shallow waters when you can swim deep in the rivers of my love and grace?